0: This is Pamela Coon, and the curtain is up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. Now, folks, I have one of my favorite guests back for a third visit. A third visit. The incomparable film director, actor, and screenwriter Matt Mickelson, creator of the Han Solo Chronicles, is here with me this morning. Good morning, Matt.
1: Thanks for having me on the show.
0: <laughs> Thank you for that Vito Corleone. That was pretty good. That was that wasn't bad actually. Uh,
1: it came out more SpongeBob than anything else. Sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we like SpongeBob too. He's a little weird. SpongeBob. I, I think I'll take Vito Corleone. Um, Matt and I are going to discuss today. Now, believe it or not, we're choosing three films that we're going to to talk about. And they're not going to be Star Wars.
1: They're not, but I'm I'm sure Star Wars was influenced by them somehow, (laughs) in some way.
0: I'm sure Star Wars is going to creep into this conversation, Matt.
1: I'm going to try really hard not to. (laughs) Or we'll lose points every time it comes up or something. I don't know.
0: Well, let's make it perfectly clear to those who have never heard us before. Matt and I do feel that Star Wars may be the well we all need to go to. It it is perhaps the greatest film ever made, right? It would be our favorite, number one. It's my
1: favorite. It's my
0: favorite, too. And I think Empire Strikes Back would come up as number two for me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think we're talking about Star Wars already. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> okay,
0: wait, cut, cut. <laughs> so now, all right. So, um, first of all, what's cooking? You know, in the world of the Han Solo chronicles, just quickly, we have to catch up with your filmmaking.
1: Ah, well, I'm I'm um, slowly uh, trickling in our more shots from uh, my VFX guy in the UK, and very cool. I am uh, assembling those as as they come in, and uh, as he tries to squeeze them out in between jobs. And uh, trying to uh, find uh, film festivals to put in the completed uh, uh, 30-minute film in once it's done. And we are hoping to be done by January so we could start submitting to film festivals and Comic-Cons and all that kind of that good stuff. That's so
0: exciting. You've come so far since our last conversation.
1: I, I hope so. Um, you know, it's 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 kind of a slow burn, you know, when you're waiting on other people to do stuff but you know you got to be patient and try to you know set yourself up for for uh, to keep busy with it and um you know have places to show it and be able to share it with people and get people talking about it and hopefully uh you get to make another one and then if you could turn it into a job yay
0: yay is is right. The kids, your your kids are still involved.
1: Yeah, they they're kind of looking forward to it. At first, they're like, "Oh, come on, Dad," you know. <laughs> but then I, I showed them the script of the new episode, and they're like, "Hey, this is kind of good," you know, or or um, you know, because uh, I was toying with the idea of maybe one of the daughters getting capped. Um, oh yeah, we talked about know. that
0: last time. I was I was really upset.
1: Yeah, well, I I think it ups the stakes a little bit and. You know, as long as we're going to be talking about the Godfather and, you know, family members getting killed off here and there. (laughs) It
0: kind of just plays right into it, doesn't it? Hey, why not? All right. So I pitched this idea to you that we should speak about three films that we could discuss today. And today is my choice. Okay. So ladies get to go first and the talk show host gets to go first. (laughs) Next time will be your time. And I think it'll be fairly easy because we'll be talking Star Wars all the time. Oh, no. However... So I'm going to start with an unusual pick. You know, re- I had to really think about this because, first of all, I have like a top 50 movie base. And one of my choices today is down a little way, but I believe it, it, it bears talking about because it was such an incredible film and such an incredible mm-hmm. script and has one of my favorite actresses and actors and filmmaker, George Cukor. And my first choice then is the Philadelphia Story. The Phil. Do you remember that film then? Hardly. Hardly.
1: Yeah, it came out many, 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 many years before like I was before even you were thought born? about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, so this is a legendary comedy and one that possesses class, a fantastic script, and a memorable lineup of actors. I mean, first of all, we've got Katherine Hepburn. Cary Grant, Jimmy Stewart, Ruth Hussey. And it came at a time when Hepburn's career was kind of going into the dumper. I mean, she was considered to be cold as ice and things weren't happening for her. So she she acquired the rights to the Broadway play, The Philadelphia Story, written by Philip Berry. And it's actually rumored that Howard Hughes helped her buy this to help, you know, relaunch oh. her career. So wisecracking dialogue, a wonderful story of a stiff socialite, really misunderstood, with redemption to follow. It's timeless.
1: And you always got to like Gary Grant.
0: You've always got to like Cary Grant. And apparently he, he, okay, so he plays her ex-husband, yeah? And then Jimmy Stewart plays um, this um, uh, journalist who's coming in to do a story. And Cary Grant really w- wanted the opposite part. He wanted the the part of the journalist. But actually, it's perfect with Stewart. And he's got this kind of glow, you know, throughout the movie, which is really fantastic. And then Ruth Hussey, of course, being beautiful and just dignified. But Cary Grant at his best. Um, it's it, And Jimmy Stewart, you know, he's a reporter with a big heart and the small pocketbook, kind of marveling at the rich as they do crazy mm-hmm. things. And, you know, this was remade into high society years later okay, with Bing Crosby and Grace Kelly and Frank Sinatra.
1: Was there a contemporary remake, like in the 80s, 90s, or the 2000s?
0: I don't think
1: so. Okay.
0: I don't think so. Now, you'd know about that.
1: Yeah. Well, I know they, they remade... Uh, a nineteen fifties comical farce with Steve Martin, a couple of years ago about the the in the couple in their fifties coming into New York City and they get lost and
0: oh yeah 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 uh, uh, Lost in New York or, or, or the, yeah it was uh, based on the original Sandy Dennis um, yeah yeah was it Jack Lemon or the,
1: yeah, yeah it was Jack Lemmon and it, it was Jack <coughs> Lemmon I think but in the early seventies late sixties. You know, when, when he uh, was doing, a, uh, you know, darker roles when that's, in that's the right. 70s, when everyone was doing darker roles. Everybody was, Matt. Um, it was really
0: depressing. That's what, that's where Star Wars came in.
1: <laughs> it, did you ever see the Kevin Spacey thing where he plays Jack Lemon auditioning as Chewbacca?
0: No, Matt. Okay. So, <laughs> I have not, but this is good. I, I need okay, to write I'm this gonna down. Okay, I'm going to stop right now
1: so uh, I don't bring Star Wars back into it.
0: It's okay. Somehow Star Wars refreshes us all.
1: No, but but I I really need to see that because I I, I, uh, misread your email, and I thought you were talking about the the movie Philadelphia (laughs) with Tom Hanks and Denzel Washington, which is a totally different movie, apparently. I would
0: think so, where he's actually listening to Maria Callas sing. While he's taking his his AIDS um, treatments, uh-huh. yeah, a very moving film. And I
1: don't think there was any singing in Philadelphia, though, <laughs> um, unless Denzel did something and they cut it from the movie. I don't know.
0: But so. I, I always remember that Tom Hanks with it, it carrying around his IV and he's listening to Maria Callas sing the wonderful aria from La Valle. Oh yeah, and yeah. Um, it was a, it's a very moving moment.
1: That's in your wheelhouse.
0: It is. It is indeed. I do. I do notice these things, but getting back to the Philadelphia story. So there's so much fun. There's so much slapstick crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's there's one moment I really like, and, and it's it's when the journalist who Kate Hepburn has had nothing, uh, you know, but remorse for that he's there. Um, She has a little too much to drink, so does he. And they have a little fling on the eve of her marriage to this underwhelming guy, George Kittress, who nobody wants to know about. But Jimmy Stewart is so radiant at a a young age. And he even sings a few bars. And somehow it just whisks us away. And Katharine Hepburn in such a a fantastic soft moment, you know, it's it's just it's worth seeing.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. No, no, I definitely want to pick it out story, now. Story, Matt.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: I am writing that down on my brain.
0: And the wonderful, wonderful George Cooker, who directed most of her films, and, of course, My Fair Lady.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know that one, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Yes, I do. I do. I'm very familiar with My Fair Lady.
0: <laughs> you know, something tells me if George Cooker was around right now, because his big thing was snappy script, great comedy timing, you know? And, like, some like it hot. I mean...
1: Oh, I'd love some like that. that That's that's a great movie.
0: We'd really be looking at some sort of space age thing with him. But somehow, he would make (laughs) it really work in the timing.
1: Well, uh, a friend of mine recently, um, we were talking about remakes and how uh, Hollywood is taking basically every 70s and 80s film and just remaking it to the numbers. You know, they're not really changing anything. They're just – they knew it was successful once, and, you know, that's a a safe bet. And these days, it's all about the safe bet. Um, and
0: I'm so sorry about that.
1: Yeah, me too. Me too. And you know, I mean, it goes in waves. You know, some, mm-hmm. uh, cor- you know, the the corporate thinking is go with the safe bet and whatever's going to make money, and uh, uh, just think about the money with some money on top, and the creativity just goes out the window. Mm-hmm. Um, or they try if there is creativity there, the studio might butt in and try to fix things so it's more pleasing to people that might buy more Coca-Cola or something like that, and then it just kills the whole thing mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and you know we could cite several examples where that has happened um also um my my friend had mentioned well instead of just remaking every movie the same why don't they just remake them all in space in space in space it seemed like a simple solution <laughs> <you know? laughs> and he's not even a sci-fi nerd or anything he's he's just like put him in space you know uh, the like, final
0: frontier. Yeah,
1: and and as I mentioned, uh, Sean Connery in the movie Outlander, mm-hmm. and I think, uh, mm-hmm. what was that, 1983, 84, mm-hmm. um, that was basically high noon. It was. In space.
0: Yeah, Gary Cooper, a.k.a. Um, yeah Sean Connery, mm-hmm. who was looking for something to re, re- established his career after James Bond, Mm -hmm. and he he was without the hair, as I remember. And it was, yeah, a remote outpost, and he's trying to find the murderer.
1: Because his James Bond movie before that, although it was fairly decent as far as 70s James Bond movies went, but the hairpiece was pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah. It was hard to be suave with that thing, you know, even though he pulls it off, but, but he really had to take a turn. Do something different.
0: Did you know that he was actually wearing hair pieces as early as Dr. No? Really? Yes.
1: I did not Because know that. he
0: started to lose his hair early on. And um, <laughs> I, I was reading about this recently, and he had hair pieces for the wet shots when he came out of the water, and he had hair pieces for the dry really? shots.
1: Really? I had no idea. Mm-hmm.
0: It is a fact, but we love him anyway. I mean, and I don't think I've ever loved Sean Connery as much as at the end of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves with Kevin Costner.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: At the very end, he comes striding in as King Richard, hot off uh-huh. the, um, uh-huh. the Conquest, you know, and, um, and the Crusades. Oh, and he's so adorable with his gray hair and his, his gray balding head. Oh, my gosh. I, there's nothing like Sean Connery's
1: voice. My favorite movie with Sean Connery was Highlander. <laughs> oh,
0: well, now we're talking.
1: You know, that 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 was one of those movies that was a big risk. It was. And it didn't I don't think it really nailed it at the box office because nobody knew what it was. Mm-hmm. But like a lot of things, you know, in that era it it gained a a huge huge following Cult. over time. Cultish, Cult yeah.
0: Following. And mm-hmm.
1: cuz it's a brilliant movie and it, it for the time it was really clever, you know, how they you know, mastered uh, transitions from scene to scene, going from a fish tank to a lake in one seamless shot. Um, and they had a lot of excellent filmmaking. And for what was uh, uh, just a couple of guys who had an idea and they got lucky with um, finding a, a producer who liked the story and the idea mm-hmm. and let them do it. And, and um, it, it, it's just amazing. And it, it was one of, I guess, back then they called it a sleeper hit. Like it, it, it didn't make a lot out of the gate, um, but over time, that's back in the day when a film could still be in the movie theater for a year. That's right. To gain traction, it that's didn't right. have to make a billion dollars in the first three minutes. You know. Um,
0: and that was Christopher Lambert with this oh, yeah. wonderful French accent as the man who could not be killed. His weird accent. Here, here we are going off our three films already, but I love this. Yeah. Sean Connery comes riding into that film and steals it. Yes. That the Spanish accent
1: thought mm-hmm. oh.
0: What what a moment! What a moment!
1: Yeah, that, that, that's one of my quintessentials. If it comes on late at night, I'm stuck. It's you just know? <laughs> it's just that
0: smile of his and the glint in his eye that just he can oh. Yes, the feeling you are feeling
1: is called the quickening.
0: (laughs) That's right. Oh, and how. Or it
1: could be an electric shock. I'm not sure.
0: Oh, Sean, I want to be quickened by you all the time. All right, getting back on track. So my number two choice is kind of interesting. This is a film which every film student calls a masterpiece. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Matt. Well, it's
1: just that you were talking about Robert Wagner, and you just said number two.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I have to explain that, listeners. So I recently went to a gala where Robert Wagner was being given a huge prize. It was a, a dinner of about 160 people. I had my photo taken with him. And um, I put it up on Facebook. He's the most wonderful guy, Robert Wagner. Just wonderful man and very philanthropic. When I put it up on Facebook, Matt Mickelson here actually had to retort, oh, number two, meaning from
1: Austin Powers. So what do you do, number two? <laughs> That's my business. Yeah.
0: <laughs> he's the greatest. Oh, my gosh. I,
1: I, I could quote that movie all day long. Uh, and do you know
0: Robert Wagner looks as fantastic now as he always has? He's got that same boyish
1: good look and charm. Who, who knew that Rob Lowe was his son? Exactly, you know, or at least related <laughs> in some some way, shape, or form.
0: <laughs> All right, folks, back to back to our script. <laughs> Okay, my number two choice is the great masterpiece western Sergio Sergio Leone's operatic masterpiece, Once Upon a Time in the West. (laughs) Now, the thing about this film, and so many of you see it on some strange channel at, you know, two o'clock in the morning where they they have a million commercials. And the film ends up being uh, like about four or five hours with commercials. When you see it in the theater, and, and I have done several times, and in fact, there was a theater in France that played this film every day, every really? day for, for a year. Really? And there's a wonderful story where Sergio Leone goes into the film, <laughs> the theater, and everybody comes running out to get autographs, of course except for the cameraman who came out and said, okay, I mean, this film its played every day, every day, it's so long. And apparently, Sergio Leone loved to tell that story, because it's true. The film came in at at just over three hours. It's a wonderful epic with a cast, Henry Fonda, Charles Bronson, Jason Robards playing the most wonderful runaway part of, of a cowboy who never wants to grow up, and the fabulous Claudia Cardinale there's no one more beautiful than this woman in this film. To say this is slow. It's like David Lean at his best in Lawrence of Arabia. You know, the long shot, always the music leads us in. Ennio Morricone, oh, it's just masterful. And the word is, is that Leone had Ennio Morricone, write the music before they filmed so they could play the music during all the scenes. And a lot of it was shot in Monument Valley, of course, because he's really getting back to the whole myth of, you know, all the American Westerns, but wanting to heighten it. And he, he uses this trick of the ritual before violence to make this work. So there's this fantastic scene at the beginning where, Three bad guys go to a train station mm-hmm. to meet somebody that's arriving on this train, and the tension is so incredible because all you hear is the swinging sign, the station sign, and then you see Jack Elam, who's one of the guys, a wonderful, you know, a wonderful guy from the old days of Hollywood, yeah. where he's trying to capture a fly who's buzzing around him and annoying him, and he captures it in in, in his gun, and then lets him lets him loose. Huh. In in the nose of his gun, and they wait for Charles Bronson to arrive and When he does there there's such pregnant pauses everywhere, and the music just takes over, yeah, and Charles Bronson just masterfully polishes everybody off,
1: yeah,
0: so yeah. you know already we 're set for something really good, but probably the most remarkable thing about this film is that Leone had to talk Henry Fonda into this. Because Henry Fonda is the good guy all the time, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. That's what I found amazing about it.
0: And his first scene where he plays Frank, this cold-blooded, blue-eyed killer, comes out and shoots uh, a young boy. And and has no remorse. Yeah. And apparently it did hurt Fonda's career slightly really? in Hollywood for a while. Yeah, because people saw him in a different vein. Yeah. Yeah. But what a film and and the vastness of the American West. Part of it filmed there. Part of it filmed in Italy, like the spaghetti Westerns that Leone did. Um, you know, it's it's a great film to see and behold.
1: Well, I actually got to rewatch the last 10 minutes, which is the big standoff at the end. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. For, I couldn't I couldn't believe how a young Charlie's Charlie Bronson was because oh, yeah. I remember him from the 70s mm-hmm. where, you know, he aged a little bit from, I guess, the, you know, partying in Hollywood or whatever, whatever. Uh, but right. but the the cinematography, the coloring was just. So rich and spectacular, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and everybody's eyes just popped out of their heads. You know, that's I mean, what it, he
0: wanted. Mm-hmm.
1: And and you just, I mean, as a filmmaker, I I know on the other side of that camera, there's a light in front of the actor just <laughs> blasting them, and they iris the camera down. You know, so you can't tell there's a light there anymore, and everything just kind of looks even. But mm-hmm. it, it just makes everyone everyone's eyes and teeth jump out and and especially when you take that that raw film and then you color it and everything and it goes through that huge process mm-hmm. um and you wonder why you know filmed movies are on film are so expensive cuz you know the the film cans are 10 minutes long and it take that's a $3000 of film and then you run the film and got to pay all those guys to do that and then you take it to the colorist and they spend time with it putting wow. color in it and it you know for so, for that ten minute reel, all of a sudden, you're looking at you know tens of thousands of dollars just to process it and finish it um that's why they only color the takes they use they don't color all the takes of
0: course, you know, yeah.
1: and that's why you know when um uh, Someone like Francis Ford Coppola would take a year to shoot something in the jungle. You know, the studios mm-hmm. would freak out because they're burning through
0: all that money, all that budget. Well,
1: because the, the film costs so much, and you got five guys hovering around wow. each camera, and they all have to get paid. And you know, I mean, it's it's yeah. a it's a huge undertaking. You know,
0: you know, and you speaking about the color of the eyes and their teeth, he had the mastery of the long shot on these faces, just like Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. But then. Even more pregnant pauses. Yeah. And you you have time just to soak up your own visual of what's really going on behind that actor's eyes. Originally Henry Fonda showed up in brown contacts and Leonie said, Nope. I want them in blue because we're just going to zero right in on those eyes because you are cold as ice. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's just so interesting. So go see the whole movie and then we'll oh, talk. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. I was just amazing amazed with the richness and now I want to go back and find oh, it. Oh lord, yes. You know. Wasn't it shot in 70 millimeter too. Probably, yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Oh Save yes, that.
1: hear what I said
0: <laughs> oh. <laughs> 70 millimeter it was shot in Bob Small's just telling us about, and you know here again yeah. we're talking about the golden age of the richness in yeah. film
1: people forget that super <clears> h <throat> d what they're trying to get to now like eight k twelve k eight k or i believe I believe it's eight k that that is film that was being used sixty years ago mm-hmm. you know um mm-hmm. they're trying to get to that level they're not going above it um And just because you know, like I said, film—it's in the seventy millimeter frames. They're huge, you know. But there's so much detail in that frame when it's all colorized and cleaned up and everything. And that's where you get like Lawrence of Arabia, where you could just drink in a scene. And and, Mm -hmm. and back then, you know, they didn't have to have all these fast cuts to keep audiences entertained. Mm -hmm. You—you would just get this huge vista. French horns are going, and the composer—if it's John Barry or somebody—just you know, uh, with, with with a large orchestra, and you're just drinking in a scene, as opposed to, you know. Being pandered to, you you get to be in that space, right? You know, like an open desert or Montana or in the desert, oh, or I mean, in the Wild West. That
0: long shot in Lawrence of Arabia when you he just leaves the camera and you see the vision coming towards you for mm-hmm. what seems like forever, yeah. And um, and then it's Omar Sharif, and hey, we're happy. Um, so <laughs> so ironically, we're running out of time. Oh. Uh, not surprisingly, but we've got to get to our uh, my last film, which. Believe it or not, Paramount wanted Sergio Leone to direct, and this film would be The Godfather, and obviously ended up being directed by Francis Ford Coppola, one of, the, one of the great films of all time. I mean, Matt, how can we top The Godfather, unless it is really Citizen Kane? But, you know, again, let's talk about The Long Shot. Mm-hmm. The uh, Gordon Willis in his cinematography in *The Godfather*: the deep tones, the the real suspense kept up in the darkness, um, the camera just sitting uh, like on Vito Corleone's face forever, or Michael's. You know, mm-hmm. when we see these big transitions in power play. Yeah, um, this is the film that made gangsters um, our, our
1: heroes. Yeah. this is
0: what opened up for the the eventual Sopranos. Mm-hmm. Um, is this a film that you've you've loved over the oh, years? Oh yeah,
1: yeah. I mean. You know, especially considering uh, Francis was a good buddy of George Lucas. That's right. And they were part of all this, you know, little group, the Zoetrope Gang. That's right. And um, uh, but Coppola, you know, he 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 was really able to (sighs) develop a film like like he develops a wine. You know, he can let it sit, That's he can right. let it age, he could make it have a particular flavor and it doesn't look like he got pressured into doing, uh, getting the cut done before May so we can release the movie when it's time to sell Coca-Cola or something it, like that. It looks you know. like
0: that, but he was under tremendous pressure sure. and they wanted to bring, they wanted to dump him and bring in Elia Kazan. Yeah, to finish it at one point, they didn't think there was enough violence. No, people get scared in, when in the it's, it's a
1: big, big movie, and that's right. And it would be a totally different movie if Sonny had Easy Pass. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> 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 oh my gosh, Matt Nicholson, you are too much. Do
0: you know it took them three days? That that one scene cost and over that's a hundred thousand speech, dollars. Right? It's sorry.
1: That's, that's the, uh, the, the the gate at Jones Beach. That's oh, Is it? I think so, yeah. I
0: didn't know that. Because
1: it still looks 1950s ish down with there. With all
0: the reeds and. and oh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. That is incredible. And it's so interesting about the casting, too. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't want Brando. He was in the dumper with his, his career at that point. They wanted Ernest Borgnine, who Whoa. would have been incredible. He would have been incredible, but there were so many actors vying for that role. And I remember a couple of years ago at the New York Film Festival hearing Robert De Niro talk about the fact that when the word was on the street about the making of this film, yeah. everybody wanted oh, to yeah. be Michael
1: everybody and and he
0: wanted it as well and de niro was originally cast as paulie really in the godfather and he opted out of it and i'm so glad because it gave him the the ability to come back in the sequel of course and i'm sure he was thinking that you know we we're getting we're getting the sign from bob small my wonderful producer that we have to wrap this up how can we wrap this up Matt, we can't stop talking about the Godfather. (laughs) I mean, really. We've got to come back to this at some point. Well, there's
1: always a sequel, I guess.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there is. All right, and there's a sequel to us. So next time you're going to choose your favorite three films. Yes. We'll talk about that. And Matt Mickelson, good luck with the Han Solo chron- Chronicles. I can't wait till this is out and we can all view. And I've got the t-shirt, which is really important now, so I will wear it and advertise. I want to thank you for being on the show. And everybody, come back and visit us on Center Stage. Matt, any closing phrase?
1: No, I just want to thank you so much for having me on the show. And always. it's always lovely to talk to you and, we'll and new things. Always. We'll do it again.
0: Alright. This is Pamela Kuhn and the curtain is now down on Center Stage.